Chapter Ten of the Moon Maid by Edgar Rice Burroughs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Chapter Ten: The City of Calcars. Now, indeed, did I have reason to curse the stupidity that had permitted me to cast into the abyss all of the hooked poles save one, since even this one was now lost to me, and I was utterly without means of escape from the tunnel. As the fellow approached me at a rapid run, I hurled my lance but being unaccustomed to the weapon i missed and then he was upon me dropping his own lance as he leaped for me for it was evidently his desire to take me alive and unharmed i thought that i was going to have him now for i believed that i was more than a match for him but there are tricks in every method of attack and this lunar warrior was evidently well schooled in his own methods of offence he scarcely seemed to touch me and yet he managed to trip me and push me simultaneously so that I fell heavily backward to the ground, and, turning a little sideways as I fell, I must have struck my head against the side of the tunnel, for that is the last that I remember until I regained consciousness in the very cave that Naila and I had reached when we saw the first of the Kalkars. I was surrounded by a party of eight of the Kalkars, two of whom were half carrying, half dragging me. I learned later that in the fight before the rostrum I had killed four of their number. The fellow who had captured me was in very good humour, doubtless because of his success, and when he discovered that I had regained consciousness, he started to converse with me. "'You thought that you could escape from Gath, did you?' he cried. "'But never. You might escape from the others, but not from me. No, not from Gath.' "'I did the principal thing that I desired to do,' I replied, wishing to learn if Narila had escaped. "'What is that?' demanded Gath. I succeeded in accomplishing the escape of my companion, I replied. He made a wry face at that. If Gath had been there a moment earlier, she would not have escaped either, he said, and by that I knew that she had escaped, unless she had fallen back into the crater, and I was amply repaid for my own capture if it had won freedom for Naila. Although I did not escape this time, I said, I shall next time. He laughed a nasty laugh. There will be no next time, he said. But we are taking you to the city, and once there, there is no escape. For this is the only avenue by which you can reach the outer world, and once within the city, you never can retrace your steps to the mouth of the tunnel. I was not so sure of that myself, for my sense of direction and that of location are very well developed within me. The degree of perfection attained in orientation by many officers of the International Peace Fleet has been described as almost miraculous, and even among such as these, my ability in this line was a matter of comment. I was glad, therefore, that the fellow had warned me, since now I should be particularly upon the watch for each slightest scrap of information that would fix in my memory whatever route I might be led over. From the cave in which I regained consciousness, there was but a single route to the mouth of the tunnel. But from here on into the city I must watch every turn and fork and crossing and draw upon the tablets of my memory an accurate and detailed map of the entire route. We do not even have to confine our prisoners, continued Gath, after we have so marked them that their ownership may always be determined. How do you mark them? I asked. With heated irons we make the mark of the owner, here, and he touched my forehead just above my eyes. 
pleasant, I thought to myself, and then aloud, Shall I belong to you? I do not know, he replied, but you will belong to whomever the twenty-four allot you. We moved on after we left the cave for a considerable period of time in silence. I was busy making mental notes of every salient feature that might be useful to me in retracing my steps, but I found nothing other than a winding and gently ascending corridor, without crossings or branches, until we reached the foot of a long flight of stone steps, to the summit of which we emerged into a large chamber, in the walls of which there must have been at least a dozen doorways, where, to my great disappointment, I was immediately blindfolded. They whirled me around then, but evidently it was done perfunctorily, since it was exactly one full turn and I was halted in my tracks, facing precisely in the same direction that I had been before. This I was positive of, for our powers of orientation are often tested in this way in the air service. Then they marched me straight forward across the room, through a doorway directly opposite that at which I had entered the chamber. I could tell when we left the larger chamber and entered the corridor from the different sound which our footsteps made. We advanced along this corridor ninety-seven paces, when we turned abruptly to the right, and at the end of thirty-three paces emerged into another chamber, as I could easily tell again from the sound of our footsteps, the instant we crossed the threshold. They led me about this chamber a couple of times with the evident intention of bewildering me, but in this they did not succeed, for when they turned again into the corridor, I knew that it was the same corridor from which I had just emerged, and that I was retracing my steps. This time they took me back thirty-three paces, and then turned abruptly to the right. I could not but smile to myself when I realized that we were now continuing directly along the same corridor as that which we had entered immediately after they had first blindfolded me. The little excursion through the short corridor into the second chamber having been but a ruse to bewilder me. A moment later, at the foot of a flight of steps, they removed the blind, evidently satisfied that there was now no chance of my being able to retrace my steps and find the main tunnel leading to the crater, while, as a matter of fact, I could easily have retraced every foot of it blindfolded. From here on, we climbed interminable stairways, passed through numerous corridors and chambers, all of which were illuminated by the radium-bearing substance which coated their walls and ceilings, and then we emerged suddenly upon a terrace into the open air, and I obtained my first view of the lunar city. It was built around a crater, and the buildings were terraced back from the rim, the terraces being generally devoted to the raising of garden truck and the principal fruit-bearing trees and shrubs. The city extended upward several hundred feet, the houses, as I learned later, being built one upon another, the great majority of them, therefore, being without windows looking upon the outer world. I was led along the terrace for a short distance, and during this brief opportunity for observation, I deduced that the cultivated terraces lay upon the roofs of the tier of buildings next below. To my right I could see the terraced steps extending downward to the rim of the crater. Nearly all the terraces were covered with vegetation, and in numerous places I saw what appeared to be vagas feeding upon the plants, and this, I later learned, was the fact, and that the Kalkars, when they are able to capture members of the race of vagas, keep them in captivity and breed them as we breed cattle, 
for their flesh. It is necessary to some extent to change the diet of the Vagas almost exclusively to vegetation, though this diet is supplemented by the flesh of the Kalkars and their Lathian slaves who die, the Vagas thus being compelled to serve the double purpose of reducing flesh for the Kalkars and acting as their scavengers as well. Upon my left were the faces of buildings, uniformly two stories in height, with an occasional slender tower rising fifteen, twenty, or sometimes as high as thirty feet from the terraced roofs above. It was into one of these buildings that my captors led me after we had proceeded a short distance along the terrace, and I found myself in a large apartment in which were a number of male cowcars, and at a desk facing the entrance a large, entirely bald man who appeared to be of considerable age. To this person I was led by Gapth, who narrated my capture and the escape of Naila. The fellow before whom I was brought questioned me briefly. He made no comment when I told him that I was from another world, but he examined my garments rather carefully, and then, after a moment, turned to Gapth. We will hold him for questioning by the twenty-four, he said. If he is not of Vana, he is neither Kalkar nor Lathian, and consequently he must be flesh of a lower order, and therefore may be eaten. He paused a moment, and fell to examining a large book which seemed to be filled with plans, upon which strange hieroglyphics appeared. He turned over several leaves, and finally, coming evidently to the page he sought, he ran a forefinger slowly over it, until it came to rest near the centre of the plant. You may confine him here, he said to Gapth, in chamber eight of the twenty-fourth section, at the seventh elevation and you will produce him upon orders from the twenty-four when next they meet. And then to me, it is impossible for you to escape from the city, but if you attempt it, it may be difficult for us to find you again immediately, and when we do, you will be tortured to death as an example to other slaves. Go. I went, following Gap and the others who had conducted me to the presence of this creature. They led me back into the very corridor from which we had emerged upon the terrace, and then straight into the heart of that amazing pile for fully half a mile, where they shoved me roughly into an apartment at the right of the corridor, with the admonition that I stay there until I was wanted. I found myself in a dimly lighted rectangular room, the air of which was very poor, and at the first glance I discovered that I was not alone for upon a bench against the opposite wall sat a man. He looked up as I entered, and I saw that his features were very fine, and that he had black hair like Naila. He looked at me for a moment with a puzzled expression in his eyes, and then he addressed me. You, too, are a slave? he asked. I am not a slave, I replied. I am a prisoner. It is all the same, he said. But from whence come you? I have never seen your like before in Vana. I do not come from Vana, I replied, and then I briefly explained my origin and how I came to be in his world. He did not understand me, I am sure, for although he seemed to be, and really was, highly intelligent, he could not conceive of any condition concerning which he had had no experience, and in this way he did not differ materially from intelligent and highly educated earthmen. And you, I asked at length, you are not a Kalkar? From whence come you? I am from Lathe, he replied. 
I fell outside the city and was captured by one of their hunting parties. Why all this enmity, I asked, between the men of Lathe and the Kalkars? Who are the Kalkars, anyway? You are not of Vana, he said, that I can see, or you would not ask these questions. The Kalkars derive their name from a corruption of a word meaning the thinkers. Ages ago we were one race, a prosperous people living at peace with all the world of Vana. The Vagas we bred for flesh, as we do today within our own city of Lathe, and as the Kalkars do within their city. Our cities, towns, and villages covered the slopes of the mountains and stretched downward to the sea. No corner of the three oceans but knew our ships, and our cities were joined together by a network of routes along which passed electrically driven trains. He did not use the word trains, but an expression which might be liberally translated as ships of the land while other great carriers flew through the air. Our means of communication between distant points were simplified by science through the use of electrical energy, with the result that those who lived in one part of Vana could talk with those who lived in any other part of Vana, though it were to the remotest ends of the world. There were ten great divisions, each ruled by its Jemadoc, and each division vied with all the others in the service which it rendered to its people. There were those who held high positions and those who held low. There were those who were rich and those who were poor. But the favors of the state were distributed equally among them, and the children of the poor had the same opportunities for education as the children of the rich. And there it was that our troubles first started. There is a saying among us that no learning is better than a little, and I can well believe this true when I consider the history of my world where, as the masses became a little educated, there developed among them a small coterie that commenced to find fault with everyone who had achieved greater learning or greater power than they. Finally, they organized themselves into a secret society called the Thinkers, but known more accurately to the rest of Vana as those who thought that they thought. It is a long story, for it covers a great period of time, but the result was that slowly at first and later rapidly the thinkers who did more talking than thinking filled the people with dissatisfaction until at last they arose and took over the government and commerce of the entire world the jemadars were overthrown and the ruling class driven from power the majority of them being murdered though some managed to escape and it was these my ancestors who founded the city of lathe it is believed that there are other similar cities in remote parts of Vana inhabited by the descendants of the Jemadar and noble classes, but Lathe is the only one of which we have knowledge. The thinkers would not work, and the result was that both government and commerce fell into rapid decay. They not only had neither the training nor the intelligence to develop new things, but they could not carry out the old that had been developed for them. The arts and sciences languished and died with commerce and government, and Vana fell back into barbarism. The Vagas saw their chance and threw off the yoke that had held them through countless ages. As the Kalkars had driven the noble class into the lofty mountains, so the Vagas drove the Kalkars. Practically every vestige of the ancient culture and commercial advancement of Vana has been wiped from the face of the world. The Lathians have held their own for many centuries, 
but their numbers have not increased. Many generations elapsed before the Lathians found sanctuary in the city of Lathe, and during that period they too lost all touch with the science and advancement and the culture of the past. Nor was there any way in which to rebuild what the Kalkars had torn down, since they had destroyed every written record and every book in every library in Vana. And so occupied are both races in eking out a precarious existence that there is little likelihood that there will ever again be any advancement made along these lines. It is beyond the intellectual powers of the Kalkars, and the Lathians are too weak numerically to accomplish aught. It does look hopeless, I said, almost as hopeless as our situation. There is no escape, I imagine, from this Kalkar city, is there? No, he said, none whatever. There is only one avenue, and we are so confused when we are brought into the city that it would be impossible for us to find our way out again through this labyrinth of corridors and chambers. And if we did win our way to the outer world, we would be as bad off, I presume, for we could never find Lathe, and sooner or later would be recaptured by the Kalkars or taken by the Vagas. Am I not right? No, he said, you are not right. If I could reach the rim of the crater beyond the city, I could find my way to Lathe. I know the way well, for I am one of Kota's hunters, and am thoroughly familiar with the country for great distances in all directions from Lathe. So, this was one of Kota's men. I was glad indeed that I had not mentioned Naila, or told him of her possible escape, or of my acquaintance with her. And who is Kota? I asked, feigning ignorance. Kota is the most powerful noble of Lathe, he replied. Some day he will be Jemadar, for now that Naila the princess is dead, and Sagroth the Jemadar grows old, it will not be long before there is change. And if the princess should return to Lathe, I asked, would Kota still become Jemadar then upon the death of Sagroth? He would become Jemadar in any event, replied my companion, for had the princess not been carried off by the heir that runs away, Kota would have married her, unless she refused, in which event she might have died. People do die, you know. You feel no loyalty, then, I asked, for your old Jemadar, Sagra, or for his daughter, the princess? On the contrary, I feel every loyalty toward them, but like many others I am afraid of Kota for he is very powerful, and we know that sooner or later he will become ruler of Lathe. That is why so many of the high nobles have attached themselves to him. It is not through love of Kota, but through fear that he recruits his ranks. But the princess, I exclaimed, would the nobles not rally to her defense? What would be the use, he asked. We of Lathe do but exist in the narrow confines of our prison city. There is no great future to which we may look forward in this life, but future incarnations may hold for us a brighter prospect. It is no cruelty, then, to kill those who exist now under the chaotic reign of anarchy which has reduced Vana to a wilderness. I partially caught his rather hopeless point of view, and realized that the fellow was not bad or disloyal at heart, but like all his race, reduced to a state of hopelessness that was the result of ages of retrogression to which they could see no end. I can find the way to the mouth of the tunnel where it opens into the crater, I told him. 
but how can we reach it unarmed through a city populated with our enemies who would slay us on sight there are never very many people in the chambers or corridors far removed from the outer terraces and if we were branded upon the forehead as accepted slaves are and your apparel was not so noticeable we might possibly reach the tunnel without weapons yes i said my clothes are a handicap they would immediately call attention to us yet it is worth risking for i know that i can find my way back to the crater and i should rather die than remain a slave of the Kalkars. the truth of the matter was that i was not prompted so much by abhorrence of the fate that seemed in store for me as by a desire to learn if narila had escaped i was constantly haunted by the horrid fear that her hold upon the rim of the crater had given and that she had fallen into the abyss below gap had thought that she had escaped but i knew that she might have fallen without either of us having seen her since the pole up which she had clambered had been fastened a little beyond the opening of the tunnel so that had her hold become loosened she would not have fallen directly past the aperture the more i thought of it the more anxious i became to reach lathe and institute a search for her while we were still discussing our chances of escape two slaves brought us food in the shape of raw vegetables and fruit i scanned them carefully for weapons but they had none the circumstance to which they may owe their lives i could have used their garments had they been other than slaves but i had hit upon a bolder plan than this and must wait patiently for a favourable opportunity to put it into practice after eating i became sleepy and was about to stretch out upon the floor of our prison when my companion whose name was mogul told me that there was a sleeping apartment adjoining the room in which we were that had been set apart for us the doorway leading to the sleeping chamber was covered by heavy hangings and as i parted them and stepped into the adjoining chamber i found myself in almost total darkness the walls and ceiling of this room not having been treated with the illuminating coating used in the corridors and apartments which they wished to maintain in a lighted condition i later learned that all their sleeping apartments were thus naturally dark in one corner of the room was a pile of dried vegetation which i discovered must answer the purpose of mattress and covering should i require any however i was not so particular as i had been accustomed to only the roughest of fare since i had left my luxurious stateroom aboard the barzoom how long i slept i do not know but i was awakened by mogul calling me he was leaning over me shaking me by the shoulder you are wanted he whispered they have come to take us before the twenty-four tell them to go to the devil i said for i was very sleepy and only half awake of course he did not know what devil meant but evidently he judged from my tone that my reply was disrespectful to the Kalkars. do not anger them he said it will only make your fate the harder when the twenty-four command all must obey who are the twenty-four demanded they compose the committee that rules this Kalkar city i was thoroughly awakened now and rose to my feet following him into the adjoining chamber where i saw two Kalkar warriors standing impatiently awaiting us as i saw them a phrase leaped to my brain and kept repeating itself there are but two there are but two they were across the room from us standing by the entrance and mogul was close to me 
There are but two, I whispered to him in a low voice. You take one, and I will take the other. You dare? I will take the one at the right, he replied, and together we advanced across the room slowly toward the unsuspecting warriors. The moment that we were in reach of them, we leaped for them simultaneously. I did not see how Mogo attacked his man, for I was busy with my own, though it took me but an instant to settle him, for I struck him a single terrific blow upon the chin, and as he fell I leaped upon him, wresting his dagger from its scabbard and plunging it into his heart, before he could regain his senses from the stunning impact of my fist. Then I turned to assist Mogo, only to discover that he needed no assistance, but was already arising from the body of his antagonist, whose throat was cut from ear to ear with his own weapon. Quick, I cried to Mogo, drag them into the sleeping apartment before we are discovered, and a moment later we had deposited the two corpses in the dimly lighted apartment adjoining. We will leave the city as Kalkar warriors, I said, commencing to strip the accoutrements and garments from the man I had slain. Mogo grinned. Not a bad idea, he said, if you can find the route to the crater, it is possible that we may yet escape. It took us but a few moments to effect the change, and after we had hidden the bodies beneath the vegetation that had served us as a bed, and stepped out into the other chamber, where we could have a good look at one another, we realized that if we were not too closely scrutinized, we might pass safely through the corridors beneath the Kalkar city, for the Kalkars are a mongrel breed, comprising many divergent types. My complexion, which differed outrageously from that of either the Kalkars or the Lathians, constituted our greatest danger, but we must take the chance, and at least we were armed. Lead the way, said Mogo, and if you can find the crater, I can assure you that I can find Lathe. Very good, I said. Come. And stepping into the corridor, I moved off confidently in the direction that I knew I should find the passageways and stairs along which I had been conducted from the crater tunnel. I was as confident of success as though I were traversing the most familiar precinct of my native city. We travelled a considerable distance without meeting anyone, and at last reached the chamber in which I had been blindfolded. As we entered it, I saw fully a score of Kalkars lolling upon benches or lying upon vegetation that was piled upon the floor. They looked up as we entered, and at the same time Mogo stepped in front of me. "'Who are you, and where are you going?' demanded one of the Kalkars. "'By order of the twenty-four, said Mogo, and stepped into the room. Instantly I realized that he did not know in which direction to go, and that by his hesitancy all might be lost. "'Straight ahead, straight across the room,' I whispered to him, and he stepped out briskly in the direction of the entrance to the tunnel. Fortunately for us, the chamber was not brilliantly lighted, and the Kalkars were at the far end of it. Otherwise, they must certainly have discovered my deception at least, since any sort of close inspection would have revealed the fact that I was not Havana. However, they did not halt us, though I was sure that I saw one of them eyeing me suspiciously, and I venture to say that I took the last twenty steps without drawing a breath. It was quickly over, however, and we had entered the tunnel, which now led, without further confusing ramifications, directly to the crater. We were fortunate, I said to Mogo. That we were, he replied. In silence, then, that we might listen for pursuit, or for the sound of Kalkars ahead of us, we hastened rapidly along the descending passageway 
toward the mouth of the tunnel where it opened into the crater and at last as we rounded the last turn and i saw the light of day ahead of me i breathed a deep sigh of relief though almost simultaneously my happiness turned to despair at the sudden recollection that there were no hooked poles here to assist us to the summit of the crater wall what were we to do mogul i said turning to my companion as we halted at the end of the tunnel there are no poles with which to ascend i had forgotten it but in order to prevent the cowcars from ascending after me i threw all but one into the abyss and that one slipped from the rim and was lost also just as my pursuers were about to seize me i had not told mogo that i had had a companion since it would be difficult to answer any questions he might propound on the subject without revealing the identity of Nahila. oh we can overcome that replied my companion we have these two spears which are extremely stout and inasmuch as we shall have plenty of time we can easily arrange them in some way that will permit us to ascend to the summit of the crater it is very fortunate that we were not pursued the Kalkar's spears had a miniature crescent-shaped hook at the base of their point similar to the larger ones effected by the vagas mogo thought that we could fasten the two spears securely together and then catch the small hook of the upper one upon the rim of the crater testing its hold thoroughly before either of us attempted to ascend beneath his tunic he wore a rope coiled around his waist which he explained to me was a customary part of the equipment of all Lathians. it was his idea to tie one end of this around the waist of whichever of us ascended first the other going as far back into the tunnel as possible and bracing himself so that in the event that the climber fell he would be saved from death though i figured that he would get a rather nasty shaking up and some bad bruises under the best of circumstances i volunteered to go first and began fastening one end of the rope securely about my waist while mogo made the two spears fast together with a short length that he had cut from the other end he worked rapidly with deft nimble fingers and seemed to know perfectly well what he was doing in the event that i reached the summit in safety i was to pull up the spears and then haul mogo up by the rope having fastened the rope to my satisfaction i stood as far out upon the ledge before the entrance to the tunnel as i safely could and with my back toward the crater looked up at the rim twenty feet above me in a vain attempt to select from below if possible a reasonably secure point upon which to hook the spear as i stood thus upon the edge of eternity steadying myself with one hand against the tunnel wall there came down to me out of the tunnel a noise which i could not mistake mogo heard it too and looked at me with a rueful shake of his head and a shrug of his shoulders everything is against us earth man he said for this was the name he had given me when i told him what my world was called end of chapter ten recording by thomas Cook.